Um, he's got the better accent, so I'll let him speak <laughs> first. <laughs> Hi. Good day. Uh, yeah, this is my wife, Haley. I'm Caleb. This is our baby girl, Kaya. Um, and we're super, been super blessed by the time we've spent here so far. So, yeah, California's been amazing. Costa Mesa's been incredible. The people we've met have just made this trip such a, yeah, a time filled with, with joy. It feels like our tanks are getting filled up just being around this community. So thank you for having us. Um, I'd just like to thank the worship team. I think it's really always beautiful to worship with God's people wherever you go. Um, and so it was a beautiful reminder that God's alive and doing things here in California as he is in Perth, Western Australia. So, um, yeah. Wonderful. Great to have you guys with us. <laughs> All right, Hannah and Sam. So most of you know that... Um, the real life of this community isn't Sunday. Sundays are fun. I'm a, I'm a fan of worship and teaching, uh, of hanging out, fellowship, laughing, building community. But uh, the real nuts and bolts of what we do is around the dining room table. And that happens probably every day of the week, but specifically Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We have 11 table communities, and this is one of the newest now, what you have to know about Sam is that he was vice president of the student body at Biola. All right? All right, I'm talking some really stud stuff here, right here. Um, so, thank you. Oh, 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 she is the Genesis running club president. Yeah. <laughs> Who recently ran her first half marathon. When's the full marathon? Never. Never. <laughs> You fired. <laughs> no, I'm fired. I'll promote someone else. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourselves. We're just going to take a few moments just to introduce some of the new groups that are gathering around the table. A little bit about yourselves, and uh, you started a group, and what are you hoping to see God do during that time? It's a lot of questions, but uh, my name is Hannah. I have lived in California for 10 years now. I was just thinking about that, which is fun. A whole decade. And I came here for Biola, so we both went to Biola and met there. We've been married almost six years, six years in January. And um, it's been really fun um, to journey with Sam, I think, and discover adulthood by, like, with him. Um, we grew up together as kids to adults, and so um, we have a lot of fun down here. We love meeting new people, love hanging out, um, love being outside. It's probably our hobby. Outside and reading are two hobbies, I would say. Um, so we have our group. We started it just four weeks, and so we were talking about if someone asked us what our group was like, we'd say we have a small sample, but um, we've had a good time just getting to know our group so far in hanging out. We've gone bowling together, eat together every week, and so we've had a really good time so far, but I'll pass it off to Sam. <clears throat> yeah, I think um, Hannah and I were excited to start a life or life group, sorry, dining table community. Wow. Um, I think we both, since we came to California, or we came to Southern California, didn't really have a community here in Orange County, um, we both got to experience what it was like to be in a small Christian community like a dining table community the first couple years. And it was, the people we met there uh, went from strangers to being friends and cared for us in a very hard season. And... I think back on that season and what it would have been like without that dining table community, and 
it just wouldn't have looked the same. Um, so I think part of what I'm excited about is uh, fostering a community where we can uh, fellowship as believers, but then also share each other's burdens and, and love each other and, and grow closer together. Yeah, and I think, um, like Sam said, we moved from Biola to Orange County and had like one friend um, in Orange County because uh, all of our friends either moved away or lived in LA. And so um, it was really hard. But like Sam said, we had like some really tough stuff, tough seasons come up. And like our dining, like our life group in that season were the people that brought us meals when we literally couldn't cook for ourselves, when we um, needed people to just sit with us and cry and um, go through things with us. And so we want that to be, and I think that's what Genesis is, um, is a family. And so that's what we see our community being over the next year. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Simple as that. All right. So what are we doing? Two things I want to say as Wendy comes up. The first is, uh, for those of you who are newer, would probably not know that we've anchored the story around five things. The one, David, is Dining room table community. That's one of the high anchor values that we want to build this community around. Number two, Madison, is worship. You got your cheat sheet out. Because we want to encounter God. And so that is a, a second kind of anchor piece for us. Third is, Olivia, do you remember the third? Prayer. Olivia. Yeah, you, you rock, girl. Yeah, you got that all by yourself, yeah. So it's the table, it's worship, it's prayers, number four, Tyler. Storytelling, because everyone's story matters. The Bible is the story of God, and, and uh, we feel everyone has something to bring into this great Genesis adventure. And the number five is mission, that every person in our community is on mission at some level, shape, or form, Local and or global. I see that hand, sister. 50. <laughs> Sam, quickly come and tell us, what, for those who don't know, what the sleeping bags are about. They, they don't have sheets. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, last week, I encouraged everyone to... Um, go on our Amazon page and buy sleeping bags for our friends um, that are living on the street. Um, it's going to be a really cold winter. We've already experienced that in the last week. Um, and in this Sunday to Sunday, I have 50 and counting. So keep them coming. They have been so blessed thus far, and we're genuinely making a huge impact. So one sleeping bag goes a long way. So thanks. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. And where we are landing right now in our current series is an invitation to the spiritual disciplines. Have you got a slide for me, AJ? And so far what we've done is, drum roll, there we go. The invitation, we've spoken about the sacred text as one of the primary spiritual disciplines, the Sabbath. We did an interview with John Mark, fasting, stewardship, and Meryl did a great job in community last Sunday night. And so we're just taking time, kind of percolating the idea of spiritual discipline in an age of chaos and disorder, and uh, we want to bring some guidelines or some uh, tracks for all of us to live out our spiritual faith with its implications. Wendy, why don't you come up here? Wendy has never taught here on a Sunday. 
her and her wonderful husband lead a table community. They uh, provide sanity for Meryl and I, because although we're much older than you, um, they're very dear friends. And Wendy is a remarkable prayer. So when we, were, we thought we were going to do this one on prayer, we have to have Wendy up. So Wendy's going to do a short front end bit, and then I'm going to land us in the back end. Do you want to come and situate yourself? Yeah. Why don't we get your daughter to come and pray? Or your daughters. Come on, ladies. <laughs> Not that hard to pray. Dear Jesus, I'll help you. Did I teach you to pray? <laughs> okay, I got it. Okay. Lord, thank you so much just for this evening where we just get to hear what you have um, deposited into our mom and we just ask that the Spirit just um, speak freely through her, Lord. I just ask that her preparation and her time that she spent, um, just asking you what you have for us tonight, just just be honored, Lord. I just ask that um, you go before her, that she be quick to follow where you lead, um, and just that you would be glorified through, through what she has to say in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Wow. I always see the back of your heads. You guys are beautiful. So nice. Um, so as Chris said, I'm talking about prayer tonight. And as I was thinking, I asked God to give me a visual image that said, this is prayer. And what I thought of was the first time, where's that little baby that was just in here, Kaya? Um, oh. <laughs> But the first time that I saw my, my kids, my babies, when I welcomed them, that was the image that came to mind when I asked God, what is this image that I can say that this is prayer? Um, so the first time I held each of my children, I looked into their eyes and spoke something softly to welcome them. I positioned them at just the right distance from my face while I snuggled them into the warmth of my body, hearing my voice, learning my scent, and tending to their needs. We connected. But connection actually started in the womb, protected from the outside. Rest and nurture formed life, and there was anticipation and longing to know them and a longing to be known by them. All of us, although maybe not a parent, have all been the substance of life taking shape. Connected to life, slowly maturing, first passive and then expressive through our needs, connecting to love and learning to trust. Attachment on a human level will always be imperfect, whether that's parent-child, spouse-to-spouse, or in a community. Maybe that's the place where we all come to the end of ourselves and are invited to receive the invitation to connect to this perfect love. This is where prayer is like a holy womb, where the triune God comes to me in spirit, connecting a need of mine to Christ, who is interceding and connecting to the Father for me. Prayer as this holy womb becomes a protected place where I'm cared for and I feel love making me, making me new. Prayer is a place of regeneration. John 3, starting in 4, says, How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. 
Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Connected, this holy womb of prayer becomes a refuge, like Psalm 46 says, where I can be still and know that he is God. A sanctuary, so to speak, where I can come to know God and held in his love, come to know myself through his love. Prayer is the place where desire is connected to God's holy love a place where trust is nurtured. I let him look into me, allowing him to welcome me into him. Here in this holy space of prayer, expressed needs become training ground for my desire. Romans 12 calls this a holy offering, an act of worship. My life offered to him. Starting in verse 1, Romans 12 says, Present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, good and acceptable and perfect. As desire is connected to God the Father, I no longer have to strive or supply or compete against others in the world. Prayer becomes a privilege of intimate conversation with God, making it plain that I am His and He is mine. Prayer is the space where I am loved and I can learn to love. Here is an offer of my life back to Him to be undone from the way the world has formed me or is around me or I'm made new in my mind, my emotion, and my will. Here, prayer is the confession of devotion. In prayer, I practice being positioned at just the right distance from him, listening for his voice, watching for how he moves, Poised here, I grow in knowing love. And this is what I offer back to God. Loving him with the best of my ability in all my heart, my mind, and my strength. Here, I remain aware of my Father's presence, regardless of how things appear in the outside world. And praying without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians 5 says, becomes devotion. Heart, mind, strength, direction, a position of my body in devotion. Prayer is my spiritual act of worship. Worship is an expression of adoration, reverence, devotion. And what one is devoted to will direct their being. Prayer is an act of being devoted. I become dedicated as a sanctuary of the living God. 
2 Corinthians 6.16 says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Eugene Peterson translated Matthew 6, starting in verse 6, something like this. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can imagine. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. Prayer is not about the right formula or technique. Prayer for others is not my opportunity to give advice or a way to get something from God and what I want. This is our creator, the father of heaven and earth we're connecting to. And he knows better than we do what we need. Connected, I can speak and listen. Connected, I can be loved and love. Connected, we can pray very simply a prayer of devotion, like Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Our heaven, our Father in heaven, I acknowledge your pure character and trust you to purify mine. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Finishing this example, Jesus said, your father knows what you need before you ask. Prayer starts with connection. Prayer is like a holy womb. Prayer is the place where desire is connected to God's holy love. Prayer is an act of devotion. Yours, but even more so, his. Prayer grows me to understand his devotion to me my fellowship with his others and his forgiveness and deliverance, ensuring the on earth as in heaven promise. Prayer is the agreement, the amen to his devotion. Revelation 21 reminds us, he who sits on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. I am faithful, I am true. Can I offer you a few questions to consider as you grow towards this prayer of devotion? First one, where have you allowed attachment or devotion to something else other than God to lead your life, to depend upon? Where have you allowed attachment or devotion to something else other from God? Second, in what area might God be inviting you into prayer as a holy womb? A place of confession where you need or your weakness or your desire is attached to his devotion. 
Is it okay if I read a few verses and then hand it back over to you? And you can just listen to a few of these. I just want to read some about his devotion to you. In Ephesians 2, verse 18 says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 3.12 says, In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. This access, this prayer is connection. Hebrews 4.15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. Do you hear his devotion? Do you hear your access, your conversation and prayer? couple more. Uh, Hebrews 7, 19 and 25. There is a better hope through which we draw near to God. Do you hear it? His devotion, your access to prayer. Verse 25. He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God. Do you hear that? Access. That's your prayer. He always lives to make intercession. Do you hear his devotion? And then one more. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, confidence by a living and new way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is the flesh. Do you hear that? Access. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Do you hear that? Access for prayer. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Do you hear it? His devotion. And if I can just close and hand it over to Chris from this um, part from Ephesians 3, 16 through 21, it says, He can give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being firmly rooted and grounded in love, may able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know this love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly beyond all that we ask or understand, according to the power that works within us, that's your worship, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generation forever and ever. Amen. He is able That's his lordship. And this is our worship. Prayer is an act 
of devotion. May we be devoted to him. Amen. Amen. So, there are many things I love about Wendy. Chris uh, is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but I do love your daughters, though. Yeah. I have to say that. No, they're very dear friends. But Wendy will be one of the first people that I will call upon to pray when we are facing something that is beyond us. Whether it's in the community or what we do globally, um, her three daughters uh, are exquisite God lovers, Jesus lovers. Her eldest daughter, who most of you do not know, uh, has planted a church with her husband in Carpinteria, up north from here, and then the other two are right here in the community. And when I, I, I wanted that mother's heart, it is true, having all the, the little baby in the house and uh, this little mop of hair and looking at her and uh, just looking at her eyes, try and focus on uh, whoever was holding her, the caregiver, whether it is Caleb or Haley or Meryl or I, just those deep eyes burrowing into the soul, not dissimilar to Meryl's introduction last week, if you remember. And the, the beauty and the wonder of attachment that's not just a human attachment, but it is an attachment with our Heavenly Father. Um, we have five anchor values, as we've said. It's the dining room table, it's worship, prayer, storytelling, and mission. And the one that we are most weak at is prayer. And I understand, prayer is not a simple, easy thing. If you're looking for a formula, you will always struggle to be a prayer. Because there's no formula or system or curriculum. It's rooted and founded in that glorious moment when God looks into our eyes and we into His. And attachment begins to find its way seeded into our soul. As I was driving down from Malibu, we were at a wedding in uh, Santa Barbara yesterday. And uh, realizing that I would need to carry kind of the last 15 minutes or so. I instantly went to that question the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Isn't that amazing? Of everything they could have said, teach us how to teach because you're a really good teacher. Even the Pharisees say you're good. Or you know what, Jesus, teach us um, how to worship because we know that they sang hymns together. Well, teach us how to care for the poor because we know that he cared for the poor, speaking of the widow's might. Or it could be that he was very compassionate. Teach us how to be compassionate. And all of us lean into some of those things that we dearly want God to make us. And yet the disciples saw something with Jesus. And the thing they asked more than anything else is, will you teach us how to pray? Uh, I've walked with the Lord for 45 years. I've seen prayer movements come and flow, come and go. During the Jesus People movement of the 70s, there was a whole movement called, Will You Tarry for an Hour? Now, there was a Korean brother, Dr. Paul Yonggi Cho, who uh, grew the world's first mega church. I think it was either 20 or 30,000 in Seoul, Korea. It was just after the Korean War. And uh, he built this incredible church. And, of course, everyone wanted the secret sauce. Or what do you do to grow a church? Because it was the day where big is good. And uh, he was this little man with this little high-pitched voice. And I wish I could impersonate it, but I would do a really bad job. But he said this, I pray and I obey. <laughs> that, that was pretty good. <laughs> but I pray and I obey. 
and there is 20,000 when churches struggled. Even the big churches were 1,000. And it grabbed our hearts. Is it as simple as that? Is it that we are men and women who know how to push into God, who know how to pray, who know how to hear the voice of God, and then do whatever it is that He wants us to do? And so there was a whole prayer movement, and we used to get up at 5 o'clock in the mornings in Durban, South Africa. We'd meet in a park, those of us who lived in that area and those who lived in other areas and other places. And we would tarry for an hour. We hated it. I was a college student. I did not go to bed early. I did not like waking up early. And there was a formula that you prayed through. It didn't last very long. But it was a good time to nudge us and push us in the direction of prayer. And if there is something I would love to give to us as a community is an authentic prayer culture. My dream is that we would be a community that the city, or dare I even suggest the nation, when things are going pear-shaped, they say we know a church that prays. Is it cool to eat together? Yes. Is it cool to be in a warehouse space? Yes. Is it cool to do life around our dining room tables? Yes, yes, yes. But would it be fabulous if that's not the thing that we are remembered for, but our ability to pray? Not for a minute or for five. Not for five minutes or an hour. But that we will be able to grow a muscle group that enables us to be men and women who can pray for hour upon hour upon hour. That's my dream gig. Now, I'm not a natural prayer. I just want to make that clear. This has come by conviction of the Scripture and the thing that God called us to. I'm so grateful that we were schooled in South Africa during the Civil War because it wasn't an option. Think for a moment, if you will, if while we are talking, someone has a tire put around them, gasoline poured over them, and lit and we walk out the building and he's burning, screaming and shouting because he's perceived to be a traitor to the white government. Or tomorrow morning as we go to school, drop the kids off at school, we hear the gunfire of police, AK-47s or whatever going, kids scattering everywhere and kids lying, dying on the street. Guess what? Prayer is the first shriek that utters from your lips. If we don't have to wait till then. We can develop a prayer culture way before that happens. And that's to me what happened with the disciples. They were mesmerized by his teaching. Of course they were. There was an element of humble simplicity about the way Jesus opened up the scrolls of old. But that wasn't what they wanted. And so I asked the question... What did they see that drew them to that great question? And I'm going to highlight just a few things from Luke chapter 4 through to Luke 11, which is this unfolding narrative of them watching and seeing what their Messiah did. And what he did was he prayed. Chapter 4 starts off, as you well know, with him in the wilderness. And he is crying out to his father amidst the trauma of a spiritual combat zone as the enemy burrowed into the very inner sanctum. If you are the son of God. Come on, come on. Let's talk identity here. If you are the son of God. 
It is spiritual combat and warfare of its highest. If you are, I'm sure you're hungry, 40 days of no eating, there's bread right there. It's amazing when you fasted for long times what you really desire. And bread is one of them. In chapter 5, Jesus calls his first disciples. They're out in a fishing boat. And we well know the story. They said they'd be fishing all night. Nothing had happened. There was no evidence of it being a good time to fish. And Jesus stands on the beach. It's actually Galilee's beautiful if you've not been there. And he stands on the beach and he looks out as this boat drifts into shore, empty netted. And he says, yo, throw the net out to the other side. And they're like, dude, what do you know? You're a carpenter. We're fishermen. We know about this stuff. And Simon says, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the net. Their first encounter with them was a supernatural encounter of sovereign provision. When God provides supernaturally, something in, two things emerge inside of us. One is our naked sinfulness. Oh God, I'm so sorry. When you come and pour and invest yourself, God does, into our soul, there's this naked sense of, I, please, I, I'm, I'm a man with unclean lips. Because prayer stimulates the raw unrighteousness that resides in all of our hearts. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about fasting, talking about Mike and Helen Mary. A couple, he was an artist, she was a dancer, they both had affairs. We have a week of fasting, uh, 10 days, water only. And we're about the third day in and I look and there on the stage, they are weeping. And one of the elders comes to me and says, Chris, I think you should come across. Now I'm all of 29, 30, maybe 32 and I walk up and say, what's going down? He was my running partner. And he said, actually, Chris, he's weeping, she's weeping. He said, I had an affair with one of my fellow students. And she's sitting weeping saying, actually, I've also had an affair. Because that's what prayer does. Prayer reveals the nakedness of our sinfulness. And Peter says, oh, please, just leave me alone. I am a sinful man. Please don't even come near me. Ladies and gentlemen, Christianity is not just an adventure that we speak much of. It's also a supernatural story. It's not me splashing a moral life with some, some goodness and language changing. It is a transformation that happens because God is at work in us partnering the supernatural transcendence with human fragility. That's where he meets us. Honestly, that's why we are scared of prayer sometimes. Because we know he's going to reveal the things we want hidden. Chapter 5, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. What happened before that was the healing of the leper. Don't you want to put hands on a leper? Or what is the modern equivalent? Someone with, um, what's the thing, please help me with the language, a monkey virus, is that what it's called? Monkeypox. Could you imagine, with compassion, putting your hands on that hand that's holding monkeypox? 
Could you imagine the confidence, the quiet, humble confidence that that person's hand is not a stigma to you. It's not a fiercer, fearful, ugly, uh, disease-laden. It, it, it's the hand of compassion, and you put your hand on it, and you see that disappear. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what, what we want? Well, well, it happens because Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And then the verse immediately after that says, And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. There is a direct ratio. Forgive my passion, but there is a direct ratio between our ability to engage, as Wendy so wonderfully said, the affection of heaven. I think prayer is an affectionate imagination that he's able to do exceedingly more than I can ask or imagine. It's an, it's a, it's an affectionate one. It's, it's this partnership with imagination. And, and when I see that, I, I so dearly want to be able to touch them. Uh, Terry Virgo tells the story of a pastor's conference he was leading. And during the worship, a man with a, with a, with a limp arm stood up on the side of the stage. And there were hundreds of leaders in the room. And one of the leaders came to him and said, well, what should we do, Terry? And he said, just leave him. Because he was kind of doing this with his limping arm. It was kind of awkward, a bit embarrassing, you know, like this is not a cool thing to have at a conference. And, and he just kept doing this. And Terry, with all due fatherly wisdom that he carries, said, leave him be. Let's see what God does. And ladies and gentlemen, by the end of the worship, he was completely healed. Is that what you want? Is that what I want? The price tag is that you and I become men and women who know how to withdraw to the lonely places to pray with Jesus. Because he fills us up. The leprosy empty Jesus. He prays. He is full. The power of God is present to heal. It is a dynamic reality, dear friends. Please can I appeal to you. And again, forgive my... My zeal, I'm probably a little tired, but, but, but so often our prayers are purely cerebral. I, I, I wax lyrical with pretty words and throw a few scriptures in. But the prayer that Jesus had was a deep inner groaning, a deep inner longing. So the Spirit groans and intercedes on our behalf. It's a deep cause to deep moment. These things happen. Because Jesus was a man just like us. And it was as he separated himself, withdrew to the lonely place, cried out to his father, the, the, and I'm going to use this, please don't misinterpret it, the divine energy that was expended healing of the leper, and it does, you waste it afterwards. Gets topped up again in the intimate place of affection. And he comes and he heals many. The latter part of chapter 5, you and I know, is about the fasting. And he says, when he goes, the bridegroom goes, then, he, then they will fast and pray. Um, okay, I'm just going to rush through here quickly. Are you with me? The storm. The storm. The demonized. The woman who touched the edge of his garment. This to me is one of the most moving Jesus encounters. Picture, if you will, a mass of people around him bumping into him. It's the Middle East. It's hot. 
They're sweaty, probably a little bit smelly, and there's just the pure hustle and bustle of life 2,000 years ago. And suddenly Jesus stops and he asks the question, who touched me? And I said, come on, dude. What are you talking about? No, no, I want to know who touched me as he turns around. And she disappears into the crowd. She just steps back. And then out of awkwardness thinking, she's breached all the protocol of what was she was allowed to do as a woman with a, with a bleeding issue. Now, ladies, I have to say, we men do not understand that at all. We do not understand the trauma and the stigma and the pain and the disorientation that some of these things happen. But Jesus felt power leave him. Prayer engages us with sovereign power so that when people come into our world that needs it, we're able to dispense it and to see healing and to see storms quietened and to see the demonized freed up. And one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? Just as John's taught his disciples. Now, I want to land as we come to breaking of the bread. Because there are times I don't know how to pray. I feel my prayers are stagnant. I feel like I'm saying the same things. I feel like I'm boring to God. Like, really, God... I'm so sorry, I'm so embarrassed by my prayer right now. It's just, oh God, you know, and, and I just list the things that, I, I offer a very poor petition. And then I take this passage. Our Father, you are my Father. When I was broken, you found me. When my father was an alcoholic, you found me. When the father figure was not necessarily a good thing in my heart, you found me. And I systematically take this beautiful, beautiful prayer and I apply it into my soul. And folks, life begins to be breathed into a cranky, uh, fractured soul. Who art in heaven, I know you there, wherever there is. But you're also here with me. And I know that you will never leave me or forsake me because Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will be there. And, and Jesus, when, when you went up to be with heaven, you high-fived the, the, the Holy Spirit as he came down to dwell amongst us. I'm not alone. I, I feel disconnected from you. I feel disheveled. I feel disorientated. I feel boring. But you're in heaven. And I'm on earth. And you sent your Holy Spirit to come and dwell with me. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here right now. Thank you. Sorry that I've not listened to your voice. Sorry that I've not heeded your whispers. I haven't felt your nudge. I haven't heeded your call. Our Father, my Father, who art in heaven but dwelling with me, hallowed be your name. And I just start quietly whispering the things, or sometimes if I'm in the back bay loudly, I just start saying, oh God, I worship you. I just start personally. Thank you for the life I've lived. There's no way I should have lived this life. I'm an Afrikaans kid from an African farm. There's no way I should have lived this life. Thank you. 
Thank you for your majesty. You rule and reign. You are, heaven is filled with a cacophony of worship even now by the angelic hosts. Thank you that you are sovereign, that you are ever present, that you are unchanging. Hallowed be your name. See, what I've started doing is I actually don't know how to pray today. It feels like sawdust in my mouth. But as I walk my way through this humble prayer, we could all say with, most of us could say without even reading the text, life begins to flow inside of me because Jesus said, pray this way. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Oh, Lord, I invite you in. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I don't, I'm not very righteous right now. I feel very wretched. I feel very sinful. You don't know what we preachers go through, do you? We have to stand up here sometimes when our sin shouts at us right here. When the enemy sits on our shoulders and says, mm, you're a hypocrite, aren't you? We have to leopard crawl our way through the arrows of the enemy, seeking to create doubt. We're just like you. Your kingdom come into my life. Sorry I was so edgy with Meryl. It's a pain in the ass. I wasn't gentle. I wasn't kind. I wasn't long-suffering. I was harsh and edgy and challenging. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Just like heaven. Just like earth. Now why am I doing this as I land? One, I want to inspire you to see the power and wonder of a life lived in prayer. And secondly, I want to offer, as we look into this discipline in the weeks to come, we've got that training day. We've got three days of prayer and fasting the second weekend of December. We're doing a three-day water fast early in the new year. <coughs> Excuse me. There are times we are all embarrassed by our poor grade prayer life. Thanks, David. And that's when we have the opportunity to come to this great and glorious prayer and say, oh, my Father. Do you know what he thinks of you? I mean, really, not, I don't want a Bible verse. I want to know what does he think of you? The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed. took bread from a meal This is a great moment for us all to quieten our soul. So our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done in my heart and in my life. Your will be done. I'm sorry I'm running and fighting you and resisting. Your kingdom come, your will be done like heaven. The great script of heaven. Like heaven, like earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, I'm, 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 I'm hurting. I, I'm not seeing your provision, but give me today my daily bread. As we take of this bread, Heavenly Father, would it be tonight an invitation for us to be found with you that Jesus withdrew to pray? And become as we are. No pretense, no ritual, no tradition. Those aren't bad, but tonight we come as we are. What I want you to do, folks, we're going to have teams in the four corners here. I want you to take some bread and take this wine and grape juice. I don't know which is which. Maddie, I'm sure you'll. This is wine this side. So you guys have got wine. Sorry. You guys have got. No. And, and I want you with one other person, I want you to break off a piece of bread. Someone will bless you. And then go and pray together. And I want you to speak the Lord's Prayer and let God give life and air to those words as I have tried to do. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm deeply moved by this. I know it's symbolic and it's a reminder. But what blows me about God's grace is that he cleanses me from my sin. To forgive me is one thing. But Isaiah the prophet says, he remembers my sin no more. So if I go to him and say, remember when I was an 18-year-old? Remember I did this? And he's like, no. Mm, no, I can't remember that. In the simplicity of wine or grape juice, there is a cleansing where God takes and removes the sins that so easily embed themselves into our soul. So, can we have the four folks, please, four teams, and uh, just pour the grape juice. Take a moment before you come up and the wine, and then we'll release you in rows. And take the Lord's Prayer. We've got a couple of minutes. And just speak that together over and with each other.